Hello and welcome to another episode of Into the Tech of It. I am your host, Jaime Cabrera, and today we will have a conversation with Jacob Kursky. Jacob is a research associate at the Center for Media Engagement. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with a bachelor's degree from the Annenberg School of Communication. He is especially interested in disinformation, digital literacy, privacy activism, and the repercussions of surveillance capitalism. In this episode, we will talk about peer-to-peer messages, also known as SMS or just text messages, and how they have been used for propaganda purposes. We will also discuss how this form of direct and targeted content can spread disinformation in a way that is hard to trace. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode. For uh, this episode, we're going to speak about peer-to-peer texting, and we have with us Jacob, uh, who's going to introduce himself a little bit, talk about his interest in tech policy, his work uh, on previous research, and uh, it's great to have you here, Jacob. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me, and hi to everyone listening. Uh, yeah, so my name is Jacob. Uh, in, in my heart of hearts, I'm a privacy activist, and in the past year and a half or so, um, I've extended that interest into doing research into um Mis and disinformation at the University of Texas, uh, because like, mis and disinformation is sort of the the really visceral effect of mass surveillance. You know, yeah. data just kind of sits there, but it can be used to target the messaging. So I'm happy to be here and to talk about uh, peer-to-peer texting because it's something that we've come across in our research that I think is really under understudied. Yeah, and to make it easier for all of us, uh, all of you who are listening, when you say peer-to-peer texting, uh, we're basically just talking about regular, plain old text messages, and uh, we're going to speak about it in the context of uh, one of the best examples of misinformation or disinformation that we saw, uh, and would, which was the previous election cycle in the United States. But this is not just a U.S. thing. Uh, and and first of all, like, what's you know, like, wh- what is it? What's text messaging? Is it just like the same thing that we're used to some people see it as i messages which is completely different but just tell us what the difference is and why is it important to differentiate between whatsapp and other platforms that are also essentially just messages application yeah so a big difference is the the reach in the united states in comparison to whatsapp so messaging apps like whatsapp or telegram exist in the united states but not on the sort of massive scale where there's like a cultural, a mass cultural dependence on them in the way there are in some other countries. Um, so in the United States, you know, MMS and SMS is still one of, or the main primary ways of communicating with people in your life. Um, unless you're part of a community that relies on an app, usually because oftentimes because you have strong international connections and, and regular texting SMS doesn't work that way. Um, The other really important distinction here when we're talking about peer-to-peer texting is between peer-to-peer, P2P, and that's probably what I'll I'll call it for the the rest of this this podcast, Um, and A2P, application-to-person. And you can tell the difference between an application-to-person message and a peer-to-peer message by the length of the number. Uh, uh, an A A to P message comes is automated, and it comes from a short-form number. Peer-to-peer um, comes from a long-form number and has to be sent by an actual person. Although that's that's where things get a little hairy. Um, but the application-to-person comes from a short-form number, and those are pretty 
pretty heavily regulated. So I just that's the important distinction is to understand that these are long form numbers that have to be set by an actual person. Yeah. And this uh, this regulation is coming right now from the FCC right here in the United States. Uh, yes. FCC and FTC. Um, the, uh, I, yes. Okay, and uh, and I think it's important to, to just to make this distinction because uh, misinformation, even though like it's been researched for a while now, uh, and it's clearly not new, not even to the U.S., but um, it's it's I think it's worthy to say what the difference is between a text message uh, or a P2P as you're calling it, and uh, and just like a regular uh, social media platform. Like, why is it different for me to just posting something online if it, it's also important for misinformation? And, and how, what's the impact of just having something be P, uh, P2P? So yeah, peer-to-peer is massive, it's intimate, and it's invisible. So people are getting these messages all the time in a political context, and there's really no tip line for 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 these things the only times we've been able to really study them is when people start collectively posting them on twitter and saying we're getting these messages right now and they're containing all this sort of false false information like literally some of these messages claim that uh candidates i think it was in florida there was a candidate in florida who there was a text that said they dropped out of the race when they really hadn't so it reaches a massive scale there's no real way to trace where it came from and it's uh It has varying levels of intimacy. Like a one, it can have a sort of an intimacy in that it connects you with a real person on the other end. Sometimes it's a volunteer, other times it's not. I can talk about more about that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talk to this volunteer and they can engage with you like a regular person. But also, as we saw with um, the Joe Biden campaign app specifically, um, it can connect you directly with people in your life who are encouraged to send you political text messaging. Um, so, But either way, it's way more intimate than coming from, say, an email list or from an A to P, A to P message. That's, that's typically how people opt into the application of person messaging is through um, some sort of email sign up. And actually, I skipped the most important part. With peer-to-peer texting, there's no consent needed. You just have to get the numbers and you can send it because of a very specific loophole that um, we can get into. Yeah, and I think that's something very important because when we think about, you know, that we receive, we communicate and receive messages. Uh, I guess the easiest comparison is when we talk about a social media platform like Facebook or Twitter. Like we essentially are deciding who we are following, right? Uh, and even though sometimes we, you know, we share our contest list in order to find more people to follow, we're also sharing all our 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 phone uh, our phone addresses, right? Um, but this, like, this does not require, as you said any consent by the person so therefore if anyone any person gets a hold of my phone number they can communicate with me in any way as opposed to me opting in into something else right yes yes precisely um and just the the state of data privacy regulations in the united states is such a dearth right now i guess there's a dearth of regulations would be the way to phrase that there's there's a lot of ways you can get numbers and you don't even have to have the numbers and you just have to have a seed of numbers and then you can use something like a Facebook lookalike audience or a, a, any data broker you choose from the list of them to build that list and then you can send these messages. And um, I think it'd be good to get into like the actual, before we move forward in the conversation, we should mm-hmm. talk about why this works as a loophole um, because that's that's sort of the context in which the rest of this lies. Um, and the loophole so, here is, as you said, is... Uh, Technically, you should be sending it 
from one person to another, right? Yeah. Uh, it, so there are some like protections so that you don't get just automated messages and all these spam calls, right? But the loophole is how you circumvent this kind of like protection, which is by semi-automating this process, right? Yeah. So there are a couple companies like um, Rumble Up, and they uh, they they run these like wrapper apps for your text messaging where they autofill, and you can even edit them a little bit um, to make give it a human touch. And people basically just sit there and they have volunteers who just physically hit the button over and over again. Um, it kind of reminds me, I, I saw I saw a GIF or a GIF once, I don't know what the standard way of pronouncing that on the show is, but th- there, there was a GIF once I saw of somebody who hooked up uh, a little... Like like a, a little pen that that you can use on your iPad um, uh-huh. to a to a little a little pneumatic device that just swiped on Tinder constantly. It just swiped right over and over and over again. Yeah. And basically, that's this loophole. It's just it, like you can send people anonymous political messaging at scale just by having because you have volunteers press this button. And something we figured out through our research is that you don't even need volunteers. There's this place called. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I don't really want to drop their name, but we, we've we've identified a place that um, provides the people for you, and it, it lets politicians turn money into mass anonymous messages sent without consent. And it's clear that this was not the intent of you know of the regulators because yeah. they regulate the automation the automation so seriously. Um, so uh, it's a it's it's a ridiculously simple little loophole that a whole cottage industry has been built around, and the people behind the industry know. Like we, we've interviewed political mm-hmm. consultants who say, we, we tell our clients they might be able to use this to win the election this year, but in two years we don't expect to. So they're already preparing for the hammer to drop and trying to come up with ways to stay ahead of the regulations. So so they know that it's not it's not necessarily that it's it's. Um it's not a bad thing that they're doing because clearly it's not regulated, but they know that uh, it's not in the best interest of the population. I would, I, I should say it like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And honestly, it's just gotten more and more extreme, the abuses of this. Um, throughout last year, we, we collected what we could and we have examples of, for example, um, there's a couple situations where volunteers edited the messaging to say something that was not the intention of the campaign. Okay. Um, but I think the the most extreme example of this is um, of the way this can be abused is while the votes were being counted in Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Convention Center, um, there were text messages sent through this message to an unknown amount of people telling them to go to the convention center and essentially stop the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of the the culmination. And the only reason that they were able to figure out who was behind those text messages was through just investigative journalism. There's no way as a user receiving this or uh, to, to trace it back. Um, so, and, and that, also because, sorry. Huh? No, go ahead. Because these companies who, who um, build these wrapper apps are typically um, second, like, like, like a subcontractor, mm-hmm. they don't show up in the filings. And they're the ones who are associated with the phone numbers. And a lot of these companies also run their own URL shorteners so that you can't really trace back to the to the original company so that that place i talked about that provides you with like paid volunteers essentially or paid political messengers they don't actually send the message they hire somebody who has this wrapper app and that and and then suddenly there's no money trail to follow about where these messages are coming telling people to go to philadelphia and stop the counting of a legitimate election it's frankly it's absurd 
Yeah, and I believe in the article that that um, the the lab published on this issue, it says that um, yes, I mean, essentially subcontractors are not you it, they can be reported, but also the expenses don't need to be itemized, and I think that's the language that it uses. So essentially, mm -hmm. saying hey, I mean, I paid to this company for the services, and here it is, but I don't need to tell you exactly what they provided, which I think it's it's providing this kind of like cover to be like well. I'm not talking about how many people you employed and what they were doing, which could be there, uh, you know, just someone, as you said, just like pushing a button or like flicking through something or hopefully not just flicking through a thing there, maybe just something, something else. But I, I do want to take a step back a little bit and, and just kind of like get your opinion. Why, why do you think this specific uh, loophole for text messages or peer-to-peer -peer messages is being used for a political purpose? Why is this it appears to be the main use of this uh, loophole. Uh, one, it's I guess it's opportunistic. You, know, you, you you get in where where you can, and so this cottage industry has been built up, and they know it has a time limit, but they know that the time limit is within an election cycle, so you, you can ring it for as much as it's worth. And the other thing is that it's it, it's been especially like point. Uh, not point poignant's not the right word, um, but I'll just use that. It's been especially poignant in the past year because it's it was built. It's been built as a way to replace physical door knocking, which can't be done anymore in in the pandemic. So it, it gives you this intimacy. It lets you have a conversation with a real volunteer in a way that an email list doesn't let you have. So it's part of this trend called relational organizing, which is the best way that that's been described to us is. It's about it's not just the right message to the right recipient. It's about using the right messenger. So okay. in some situations, having a volunteer who can talk with somebody about their concerns through text messaging um, is is that right messenger. And it's also but it's also like subversive, too, because we, we talk with people say that when people have conversations with you, like if you get a text message and it's targeted at the wrong person, which is a whole nother branch of this. Um, mm. The mistargeting through this has had some real negative consequences. Um, but even if you say, hey, this isn't my address, don't talk to me. They go, the, the campaigns go through that information and they update their voter roles. So even, mm. you know, so as you talk to them, you, they are pulling information from you. That you even even saying no, it's helping them to like yeah. get better at it. And uh, so I guess uh, the, the, the best difference that we can think of between just like a spammy text message that you could get is that you can form a conversation, but this also implies that, you know, someone needs to be on the other side responding to the people who, who wish to engage with these text messages. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, not always. Sometimes it's just used to, to mass send the messages without consent, typically with those spammy emails, whether you realize it or not. You, you've been, I mean, this kind of goes to the deceptive practices of getting people to consent to, to the, the email list. Like the, it reminds me of the, the story going on right now about um, like the automatic check for donations on the Trump campaign website. Like that, mm -hmm. just that by default being checked led to a lot of people uh, spending money they didn't want to spend. Um, Recurrent payments, sort of that's what you're like talking about, right? The, 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 the issue with the recurrent payments that people yes, did not know yeah. that they were, okay. Yes, exactly. So, so it, to to a much to a certain extent, when you receive those spam emails, at some point you signed up for that listserv, you know. Um, but with these, there is never any any consent, and um, and and it's scary because it's this random number, and some of these texts say this is coming from directly from the president or something. You know, it's yeah. it's really um, yeah. So, 
So, and, and these messages, uh, and my question is, you know, if it's effective to just like to, to get your message out, out or somewhere, um, why is it more effective for political purposes? Like, because, I mean, usually uh, you see advan advances in this kind of communication with consumers when, it, when it's about companies, right? Um, mm -hmm. But rarely companies uh, are engaging in text messages, at least personally, I don't see as many text messages just coming in from companies, but I did get them a lot during the election cycle. Um, so is this, is this something that kind of like they're circling back to, to a different way to approach people or is it just easier for political campaigns to use this medium because other mediums are already regulated? Uh, well, I think that the, the lack of regulations around the, the campaigns is, is part of it. I, I can't, I, I have to plead ignorance on part of that. I don't, I haven't looked at the corporate side of it. I don't know what the limitations on say target sending you text messages would be. Mm -hmm. um, but there is an overlap between that target sends a lot of push notifications mm -hmm. when, when you, when the, when the geofence in area. And I, I had alluded to this earlier, but the, the, the people who know this, is as an industry in, in danger of being immediately regulated are already trying to build push notification systems for politicians. So I think maybe that corporate comparison might be more relevant in a year or so when they shift to push notifications. But I think part of the missing piece here is that this is seen as a really, really effective tool for get out the vote campaigns, which is something sort of unique to when you compare it with a, a corporate application. Um, so, so, so there's like a silver lining on, on, on having these type of communications, just personalized instead of just, you know, you might see a message of a politician, even if it's with the good intentions, right? And you might see a whole platform of, you know, this this candidate, right? Uh, but if you can get just the part that you care about and you can engage with someone over a text message, there's a is there a potential for good for this practice or is the is the bad greater than the good that it can have? Oh, uh, it. Uh. I mean, that, that's a little reductive. I know that was kind of maybe it's probably the point of the question to be a little reductive, but I think uh, like the, the, the Joe Biden camp, campaign app, right? Like connecting with people in your life mm -hmm. could have the potential to have uh, that sort of targeted messaging could be a, a really effective tool for maybe countering this and misinformation um, because you can get people you trust in trusted communities to help their own communities. Mm -hmm. But right now there's just... The, the consent is just not there and right now it's so far to the to the abusive side um the, the regulation just needs to happen because a lot of it isn't isn't about the intimacy uh, it's about misrepresenting the intimacy like okay. some of these text messages started with the phrase this is president trump you're uh, and 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 it was that one is was actually Am I getting off base here, or can I talk about the abuse? One no, you, you can talk example. about it because there are like examples that uh, we're, we're, I'm going to put a link at uh, the bottom of the description for this episode so that mm -hmm. they can take a look at the, the article we're referencing. But but yeah, definitely, uh, those are legitimate examples of what we saw because uh, as we've been talking about both campaigns for this presidential uh, election cycle, uh, I, I think it's okay for you to like mention it like it is. Okay, so this one particular particular example that captures a lot of the bad dynamics of this thing is um, these text messages that were sent. We managed to do to review local reporting in a couple different states to know that it was it was arguably nationwide. And these text messages start with the phrase, this is President Trump. And then they they gave people information that their vote that their voter registration was incomplete or was complete. And okay. 
And it just, and a lot of the times it was false. Like it was like, it was mistargeted. So it arguably wasn't malicious. Like it wasn't a suppression campaign. It, it seemed like a very badly targeted get out the vote campaign that turned into a suppression campaign. Because at some point, a county clerk in Michigan actually had to make a public statement saying, we, we will, we as the state will never reach out to you through text. These, you're being misinformed okay. about your voter status. And because it just comes from this random number that looks so official and has a, some sort of fancy URL, um, mm-hmm. there, there's no way to trace it. So the traceability, you know, like it, it could be good. It, this could have a positive effect at some point, but um, it, it would need, you'd have to have disclosure laws. That would be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And also, it's pretty much a no-brainer that these sort of pseudo automation needs to have the same standards of consent as the A to P texting. And like the we as researchers know it, the the people who are in this industry know it and already they're not even focused on this anymore. They're focused on the next thing to try to mm-hmm. stay one step ahead of the regulators. So um which is what I hope to leave the, the listeners with is that this is important, but don't forget about the push notifications because that's the, that's the next step. And they feed into each other because you can, um, you can mat, you can use before the regulations happen, you can mass text people a link to your push notification. And then people will use that, that link to download the push notification. And you've essentially copy and pasted this network built on deceptive practices into something unregulated. And then who knows what they'll use after that to stay one half of the step, one step ahead of the regulation on the push notifications. Thank you for listening to the first part of this conversation with Jacob Kursky. In The next episode, we will continue our interview and we will talk about what are the implications of peer to peer messages when it comes to other issues of the election cycle, like voter suppression and how it can disproportionately affect uh, parts of the population. Here's a little preview of next episode. The other part of this is the the unintentional effects of mass data collection and targeting, right? Because our intuition on these voter suppression campaigns is that that was not the intent. It was actually intended to get people to come out and vote. But the 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 effect, if you're going to regulate, you know, data targeting and data collection, you have to focus on sloppy data targeting and sloppy data collection, you know, because targeting people incorrectly can have just as much of an effect on, or more of an effect on their lives than targeting them correctly. This podcast is sponsored by the Robert Strauss Center for International Security and Law at the University of Texas at Austin. This project is part of the Bromley Fellowship, which provides research training and mentorship opportunities to graduate students of the University of Texas, aiming to involve students in international affairs early in their career to prepare the next generation of leaders to help develop solutions to the most pressing public policy challenges. I am Jaime Cabrera, and thank you for getting into the tech of it.